0: Verses forty-five to the end of the chapter, We're going through the book of Mark, which focuses on who Jesus is and why he came, and what it means to follow him. So we are. Last week we looked at Jesus feeding the five thousand. get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them Crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, and implored them that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it. Well, So I wonder if you have felt overwhelmed by the troubles of life and far away from the presence of God. Psalm 42, the psalmist described that feeling in these words. He wrote, My tears have been my food day and night, while the people around me say to me all day long, Where is your God? My soul is cast down within me. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist describes that feeling of being swamped, of being cast down, of being in turmoil. And Jesus' disciples in the boat were probably feeling something like that. They had spent the afternoon outdoors listening to Jesus teach. Then they had been responsible for serving dinner to 5,000 hungry men, not a small task. They had finally finished cleaning up and gathering up the leftovers. Then Jesus sent them in the boat by themselves across the lake while he went up into the hills to spend some time alone in prayer. Now, we're not entirely sure where Jesus fed the 5,000, but the Sea of Galilee is only eight miles wide. Uh, so normally the trip from one side to the other, even if you're uh, from, from one end to the other, would, would have taken a couple of hours at most by a rowboat. Uh, but it says... An adverse wind had picked up. And verse 48 says they were making headway painfully, or literally they were tormented in their rowing because the wind was against them, and they had been rowing almost the whole night because it said by that time it was the fourth watch of the night, which was between 3 and 6 a.m. There were four watches, three hours each, uh, from sort of sunset to sunrise, sort of divided the night into four uh, four, uh, chunks uh, that people would rotate if they were on guard duty. And this was the last one and they still hadn't made it to their destination so they've been out on the lake rowing for perhaps five or six hours or even more Uh, so just imagine what they would have been feeling probably shivering in the wind drenched from the water spraying over the sides of the boat bone tired from a long day of doing ministry with Jesus and and then rowing all night and Jesus is far away now you might remember that A few weeks ago, we looked at when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus in the crazy storm that threatened to capsize the boat, but this time they're in the boat without Jesus. And Jesus is on the hill praying. What we see here in this passage we're looking at is what Jesus does for us when we feel like the disciples would have felt, overwhelmed by life's troubles, and far away from God's presence. And this passage shows us that Jesus does four things. We're going to look at four things this morning. Number one, Jesus prays for us even when we don't know him. That's verse 45 to 47. Number two, Jesus draws near to us even when we don't recognize him. Verses 48 and 49. Number three, Jesus speaks to us even when we don't understand him. Verses 50 to 52. And number four, Jesus has almighty power even when we struggle verses 53 to 56. So we'll get, well, I'll repeat those four points as we go along, but that's where we're going. We're looking at what Jesus does for us when we feel overwhelmed by life's troubles and far away from God. Number one, Jesus prays for us even when we don't know him. Uh, While the disciples were out on the lake, Jesus was praying on the hill. And there are three times in the Gospel of Mark where it says that Jesus went off to pray by himself. So there's one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in chapter 1 where Jesus goes away to pray after there were crowds of people that were sort of flocking to him in Capernaum, and he had spent uh, long into the evening healing many people uh, and teaching many people, and he went away to a desolate place to pray alone. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays alone, and the disciples mostly fall asleep while he's doing that. And here in the middle... Of Jesus' ministry. So, at beginning, middle, and end, we see Jesus' ministry is sort of—it's uh, like prayer is sort of like the um, the pillars that are holding up the building, right? And, and and Mark sort of reminds us of that by putting it beginning, middle, end. And of course, there are many other times that Jesus prayed, but uh, but Mark reminds us of these three for that reason. And and every time that Jesus goes away to pray, it's night time, and the disciples don't understand what he's doing. At first, they went to find him, and they said, Jesus, why why did you run away from all the people? They didn't understand what he was doing. And here, they're in the boat, and then at the end of the Garden of Gethsemane, they fall asleep. So, you know, Jesus is praying for the disciples, even when they don't know it, even when they don't appreciate or understand what he's doing. Now, Mark doesn't tell us here what Jesus prayed about. He doesn't give us the words of Jesus' prayer. Uh, But... We know from John chapter 17 that when Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, he specifically spent time praying for his followers. He specifically, that was a a big chunk of his prayer. Uh, In fact, the largest part of his prayer was praying for his disciples. And so it's very likely that that's at least some of what Jesus was praying for here. While the disciples were out in the boat, Jesus was praying for them on the hill. Jesus' disciples might have felt like he wasn't there or that he was far away, uh, but uh, verse 48 says he saw that they were making headway painfully. You see, he wasn't so far away that he couldn't see them. He saw the situation they were in, even though they would have felt like, why did Jesus leave us? And then we're in the middle of the lake And the wind's blowing hard against us. We can't even get to the place we were hoping to get to. Verse 45 says they uh, were going to Bethsaida, but then verse 53 says they landed at Gennesaret. They didn't even make it to the place they were hoping to get to. The wind must have blown them off course. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't just praying for his disciples back then. The Bible tells us that Jesus is praying for each and every person who puts their trust in him today. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Jesus is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That word make intercession means to advocate for someone, to sort of plead their case, right? Jesus is advocating for us before God the Father. He never forgets us. He's never too busy for us. He's never too far away to see what we're going through. And Hebrews, and that verse says, it doesn't just say he sometimes or every once in a while makes intercession for us. It says he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. And that's part of what it means when the book of Hebrews says Jesus is our great high priest. He's our representative and our advocate. right? Sort of like a lawyer would be. Your representative and advocate in court. Jesus is our representative and advocate before God. And so uh, he, even when we might be completely unaware of it, if we're if we've drawn near to God through Jesus, we're trusting in Jesus, we've asked him to be our Savior and Lord, He is advocating for us. He's interceding for us. He sees precisely the challenges we are facing, just like Jesus saw his disciples making headway painfully against the wind now throughout my life i have had some people who have regularly prayed for me Uh, my grandmother my parents there were two older ladies in the church that i grew up in all prayed for me regularly or even daily for many years Uh, and when i when i graduated from college i joined the staff of a campus ministry and i would periodically send out updates to uh of a long list of people, asking people to pray for me and pray for the college students that I was working with. And many times I have found encouragement in remembering that these people are praying for me. And uh, sometimes even seeing specific answers to prayers that I ask them, things that I ask them to pray about. Right? So maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've had somebody who has prayed for you faithfully throughout your life or for much of your life, or you've asked them to pray with you in a time of crisis or need, and you feel like God was merciful, and and he answered your prayer. But you know what? This passage is is saying that the best person to have praying for you is Jesus himself. And Jesus has promised to make intercession, that is to advocate or to pray for everyone who draws near to God through Him. So when you're going through a lonely time in your life, when you're out on the lake and he feels far away, remember his promise. He is praying for you, making intercession for you before God the Father, for everyone who comes to him and trusts in him. So that's the first thing we see. Jesus prays for us even when we don't know him. Second thing we see, Jesus draws near to us even when we don't recognize him. Verses 48 to fifty. Now, in one sense, the disciples' situation was not an emergency. So it wasn't like the earlier storm on the lake where they were afraid of capsizing and drowning. Um, their boat wasn't sinking. They weren't about to die. It wasn't absolutely necessary for Jesus to come out to them. I think eventually the wind would have died down and maybe it would have been the next day, but... He didn't absolutely, you know, it wasn't an emergency. He didn't absolutely have to come out to them. But what we see is that in his mercy, Jesus chose to go out to them. When they were weary, when they were discouraged, when they were just completely exhausted. And I think that's a picture of Jesus' loving concern. Jesus doesn't wait until we're on our deathbed to draw close to us. Some people live their lives sort of acting like, well, the time when I'll really draw close to God is maybe when I'm on my deathbed, right? Or maybe when something really crazy happens to me and I might die, right? But Jesus draws near, Jesus wants to draw near to us throughout our lives. And here he draws near to his disciples um, when they're struggling, when they're cast down, when they're in turmoil. He came to them walking on the sea. Uh, But then, you might notice, the end of verse 48 has a curious phrase. It says, he meant to pass by them. And you might think, what does that mean? Is he trying to, like, sneak by them without them noticing him? And why would he do that? Was he trying to show off his power and sort of leave them behind in the dust? Well, the answer is no. Uh, This verb, pass by appears in a couple of key passages in the old testament we read one of them earlier from the book of job that chapter that speaks about god's power and wisdom that god's ways are incomprehensible to us that his his wisdom is beyond our understanding and verse 11 uh, you might have noticed of that chapter job says behold he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I don't perceive him. In other words, God displays his power and wisdom right in front of our eyes, but we don't recognize him for who he is. That happens sometimes, right? And in some ways, right, God displays his power and wisdom in the world around us, and yet many times we don't see that. We don't think about that. We don't think about why is there something rather than Nothing. Good question, right? Or why is this world around us, why does it contain so much beauty and complexity and wisdom? Where does that come from, right? All these things are sort of meant to point us to God's power and wisdom. And here, uh, Jesus, you know, the disciples are making headway painfully, and Jesus walks right by them. It's sort of like if you're on a bike and— A runner passes by you. Right? You feel completely, you know. uh, I mean, really? I mean, I'm riding my bike, and this dude runs by me. That's what the disciples would have felt like. Right? They're rowing against the wind. You should be able to row fast, you know, faster than you can walk, right? And Jesus just walked right by them. Um So Jesus was showing them his power, passing by them, showing them his power, but he's also showing them his goodness. And so the other passage, there's two other passages in the Old Testament that use this word, pass by, and it means God showing his goodness. So Exodus 33, verse 19, God said to Moses, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And then the next chapter, Exodus 34, 5, and 6, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So this verb, pass by, doesn't just mean Jesus is trying to sneak by them. No, it means he's trying to reveal himself to them, revealing his power and wisdom, walking right by them, but also revealing his goodness, that he's present with them. He hasn't forgotten them. He's seen them, and he's drawing close to them. Uh, The same phrase appears in... 1 Kings 19, when the prophet Elijah was feeling exhausted and alone, he ran away to a cave. And then 1 uh, Kings 19, 11 says, Behold, the Lord passed by. And again, God reveals his goodness to Elijah when he was completely exhausted and discouraged and, and sort of ran away and thought he was the only one left and nobody else could understand him and nobody else would know what he's going through. And God meets him there and shows him his goodness, he passes by him. So, it says, so when it says Jesus meant to pass by them, his intention was show them his power like he did to Job and show them his goodness like he did to Moses and Elijah. But here's the problem. The disciples don't get it. They don't immediately say, oh, it's you, Jesus, and you're showing us that you're so powerful and that you're so good and that you're powerful enough to walk on the ocean, on the lake, and you're good enough to come and meet us in the middle of our struggle. No, they don't reach any of those conclusions. They're freaked out, and they think it's a ghost, right? They become more afraid, more bothered and perturbed. Uh, You know, probably most of us would react that way too. Uh, Think of the last time you pulled an all-nighter. Maybe it was a while a few of those in college. I try not to pull any of those these days. It's been a while, but once you get to that fourth watch of the night, 3, 4, 5 a.m., that's where almost anybody gets halfway delirious. Right? You get a little jumpy and you start maybe seeing things or hearing things or thinking that you're seeing something and hearing something. Right? That's It's, it's a crazy part of the night um, before the morning dawns. But Jesus draws near to us even when we don't recognize what we see here. Even when they don't initially see who he is, he draws near to us. And of course, sometimes, you know, Jesus is drawing near to us, but we don't immediately recognize him. We don't immediately recognize uh, how he's just reminding us of his presence um, through his word and through his people. So Jesus prays for us even when we don't know it. Jesus draws near to us even when we don't recognize him. Third, Jesus speaks to us even when we don't understand him. Verses 51 and 52. Jesus' disciples cried out in terror, and so Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know, that phrase, or something like it, is one of the phrases that appears over and over in the Bible many times, not just in one or two places or three places, but throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, fear not, I am with you. That's what Jesus says to them here. And that phrase uh, that's uh, that's translated, it is I, so literally, you could translate it, I am. It's actually the same word that God used, or same, two words that God used to reveal himself to Moses in the burning bush. He said, I am who I am. I am here with you. Um, And Isaiah 41 is another passage. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not helps you. So Jesus is saying that he's the great I am. That he's God himself in the flesh with his people. The same God who revealed himself to Moses. The same God who revealed himself to Isaiah. The same God who had been with his people throughout the Old Testament. He's saying, fear not, I am. And I'm here with you. See, what Jesus is saying to us is I'm here with you, even in your darkest hour. I'm here with you at four in the morning when you're still not done with your paper that's due tomorrow. I'm here when you're pounding the pavement and searching for a job every day and trying to figure out a way to make ends meet and it still doesn't seem like you have enough. I'm here when you're weary by the burdens of caring for a loved one who is ill or managing a household. I'm here when you're grieving the death of a loved one and wondering how you'll live without them. I'm here when you're facing a serious illness and the doctors say there's only so much that medicine can do for you. I'm here when you're weighed down by the burdens of other people who are calling upon you for help. I'm here and I won't leave you alone. Take heart and don't be afraid. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples in the boat. and That's what Jesus is saying to us today. You know, last week we saw how Jesus is the good shepherd. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And last week we saw that all the people, the huge crowd of people, they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus provided enough food for them all. And we saw last week uh, how it says he made the people sit down on the green grass. Like Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And that same theme of Jesus being the good shepherd continues here. Think of what else psalm 23 says he leads me beside still waters right here he goes out and meets his disciples when the winds against them and the waters are choppy and he comes into the boat with them and it says the wind ceased the wind died down he's the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters who meets us when the waters are choppy and brings peace and calm and then that psalm goes on, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I won't fear for you're with me. Remember, Jesus came out to meet the disciples in the middle of the night, during a, a, after a long dark night. And Jesus comes alongside us when we're weary and frazzled and stressed out. And maybe it's late at night. We can't sleep or we're working on something that we have to keep working on. And he says, I'm here with you. Don't be afraid. This is the lesson Jesus was trying to teach his disciples all along. He's the good shepherd. He's the great I am. He's God himself in the flesh. You can trust me. I'm here with you. In the Old Testament, when God led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he did many miracles, but there were two that sort of stood out above them all. Number one, he led them through the Red Sea. And number two, he fed them with manna from heaven. 40 years in the wilderness. And Jesus just has, has just done those two th- same things. Fed the people with bread from heaven, and then made a way for his disciples through the lake, through the sea. But verse 52 tells us that Jesus' disciples. They didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They were astounded, amazed by Jesus' power, but they didn't yet trust him as their good shepherd. They didn't yet see that he was the great I Am, worthy of their complete trust. You know, sometimes we can be like Jesus' disciples. Sometimes Jesus speaks to us in his word, and we've heard the same message over and over, but it just doesn't hit home yet. I mean, why do you think there are so many messages like, fear not, I am with you, that appear five, ten, or more times in the Bible? It's because we need to hear them over and over. Because they don't, you know, if we hear it just once, sometimes we just, bounces off us and we keep going on our way. Sometimes we need to hear the same message over and over. Sometimes God brings us through the same kind of situation because we don't fully learn the lesson the first time. You know, did Jesus' disciples learn the lesson when they were in the boat with him and they were about to capsize and drown and Jesus calmed the storm? Well, they started asking a question. They said, well, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They asked the right question, but they didn't come to a confident answer yet. You see, Jesus is patient with his disciples, and he keeps on teaching them about who he is. And with us, sometimes we need to ask, have have I received that truth that's in God's word? Have I learned what God's seeking to teach me, even through bringing me through a hard time? Because this lesson about learning to trust Jesus is probably about the most foundational lesson and the lesson that we need to come back to over and over, to trust and depend on him, whatever we go through. So, Jesus prays for us, even when we don't know it. Jesus draws near to us, even when we don't recognize him. Jesus speaks to us, even when we don't understand him. And finally, verse 53 to 56, it's a sort of a summary description of Jesus' healing ministry in this town of Gennesaret, which is by the Sea of Galilee, and the surrounding towns and villages as well. And we see all kinds of people coming to Jesus, seeking physical healing, and verse 56 says, As many as touched his garment were made well. So we see another reminder of Jesus' miraculous power. And throughout this chapter, I mean, Jesus has done some pretty amazing miracles. He's fed the 5,000 from just five loaves and two fish. He's walked on the water. He heals large numbers of sick people. And Mark shows us that where Jesus is, there's glory and victory and miracles and power. Jesus has almighty power. And yet, in this very same chapter, we see that Jesus' disciples experience suffering and struggle. Last week we saw so many people were coming and going that Jesus' disciples didn't even have time to eat. And then Jesus said, come away with me on a little retreat, and the retreat got interrupted by this big crowd. And then they're struggling against the wind all through the night, and Jesus doesn't come out to them immediately. He waits till the night's almost over. You see, in this same chapter we see Jesus' almighty power, and yet we see that Jesus doesn't use his almighty power to save his disciples from every struggle. He doesn't always immediately intervene and sort of brush away the problem. Life with Jesus includes both glory and suffering. See, Jesus' miraculous power is real. And Jesus... His almighty power today, but it's not a guarantee of immediate intervention when life gets hard. Jesus rescues many people, but he doesn't rescue us immediately from all adversity. Mark shows us this. The first half of Mark is full of displays of Jesus' almighty power, all kinds of miracles. And Jesus even sends out his disciples to perform miracles in his name. And then the second half of Mark, there's very few miracles all leads up to Jesus laying down his life on the cross. And of course, the greatest miracle, the resurrection. But Jesus will soon call his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. So you see, glory and suffering, Jesus' almighty power, and our life is still hard at times. And sometimes the struggle is not immediately removed. see, the disciples didn't... Verse 52 says they didn't understand at this point in the story. They didn't understand that Jesus was, what Jesus was trying to teach them, that I'm your good shepherd, and I'm here with you. You see, they would only really learn that lesson after they saw Jesus lay down his life for them on the cross and rise up again on the third day. And then they would be able to look back and see he was our great shepherd and he laid down his life for us his sheep who were lost and wandering away and after he rose again from the dead they could look back and say he went ahead of us through the darkest valley he died and was in the grave and then came back to life. And so he can lead us. We can trust him to lead us through whatever dark valleys and even through death to resurrection on the other side. You see, eventually, Jesus' disciples understood that he was the good shepherd. It took them a long time to learn, and sometimes it takes us a long time to learn. But let me ask you, is Jesus your good shepherd today? Have you turned to him and said, Jesus... I should not be in the driver's seat in my own life. I need you. I realize that I'm insufficient. Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the I am. Make me yours forever. If you haven't done that, ask him today. Come to him today. Maybe you do know Jesus as your good shepherd, but it feels like you've been rowing against the wind through a long, dark night. life can feel that way for followers of Jesus. And sometimes we might feel like Jesus is far away during those times, but look to the cross. Look to the place where the disciples finally learned. Yes, he is our good shepherd. Yes, he is the great I am. Look at him who laid down his life for you and took your sin upon himself and ransomed you from the power of the, of the grave. And look to him, the risen Lord, who stands triumphant over death and sin and hell. And he says, take heart. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Trust his promise that he's your advocate. That he draws near, even when we may not initially recognize him. And that his words are true, even when our hearts are sometimes hard. The Apostle Paul wrote, neither life nor death, nor angels nor nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Take heart. He's with us. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for your power. We praise you for your mercy and grace for revealing those things to your disciples. We thank you for how patient you were with them even when they did not understand, even when their hearts were hardened, just like the rest of the crowds. Lord, we pray that you would soften us where our hearts are hard, that you would give us understanding where we have just heard and walked on our way and not been changed by your word. Lord, we pray that we would take to heart your words and be strengthened and encouraged by them this week. Take heart. Leave us nor forsake us. We pray that that truth would motivate us to fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. We love you, Lord Jesus.